talking about spiritual warfare tonight. It's the second week that we're looking at spiritual warfare. We're going to roll into the idea of what, what naturally follows spiritual warfare in the Bible is prayer. So next week, we're going to start looking at how do I best become a praying person? And the Bible is full of prayers. I mean, there's a whole book called the Psalms that are full of prayers. And so we certainly wanna look at some of those, but we also just wanna ask the question, when Paul says, pray without ceasing, how does that, how is that even possible? Uh, I mean, I forget, I forget my car keys, let alone remember to pray all the time. And so I think it's gonna be a really good look at what does, how do we do this? How do we live this out according to the Spirit? But part of the reason we need to be a person who is all about prayer is because there's so much spiritual warfare that goes on. And so tonight we're going to look at the idea of, of testing the spirits and whose voice is leading you. So go ahead and open your Bible to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John, if you don't have a, a Bible with you, a, well, if you have a Bible with pages in it, a paper Bible, it's going to be all the way near the end. If you get to Revelation, you're just a few pages too far. Just go backwards and you'll be in 1 John. And if you're looking it up on your phone um, or tablet or whatever, it'll be very easy to find. But 1 John 4, and we're going to look at the first six verses together tonight. And so stand with me and I'll read this to us. This is your quad workout times three for the night. Here we go. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. But this, you know, the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world." They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us, and by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Lord, I ask that you would speak to us tonight, that you would use your word. Lord, that my words would be yours, that you would give us attention, and that most of all, we would connect with you and your Holy Spirit would break strongholds speak truth into our life, and that at the end of this, you would be the one whose voice we are listening to most. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So tonight, I just want to look at, at three ideas. The first one is, how do we test every spirit? What are some of the schemes of the devil, which is part of the passage we looked at last week in Ephesians 6, which ties in well here. And at the end of it, we want to just be able to ask the question, how do I know if I am listening to the truth? And so C.S. Lewis has a great book. It's called, uh, it's called The Screwtape Letters. A bunch of you, we had a dozen copies last week and, and you pretty much bought all of those that were here. We gave a couple of them away. It's a great little book on this, these this uncle demon and like the nephew demon. And so C.S. Lewis wrote it where the uncle is writing letters to the nephew. And so he's writing these letters, Screwtape is writing to Wormwood and they're going back and forth about how to get the humans to fall away. Well, if you think about spiritual warfare too much, 
you can get like hyper spiritual and just to be candid, weird. Where there's like a demon under every rock and every shadow is like a pentagram and like, you know, there's witches coming in your house at night. Like it can just get a little bit heady and weird. However, if you don't think about spiritual things enough, the fact that there are, there is a devil, there are demons, there are angels, there is the Holy Spirit of God, there is God the Father, a risen from the dead son who we worship as the son of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's a very, those are all very spiritual things. If you don't think about them enough and you still call yourself a Christian, what you really are is just good at learning things and following rules and you've made Christianity devoid of some of its very core essence. So let me just read you what's, uh, what C.S. Lewis said. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. I so wish I had a British accent at this point. Anyway, keep going. One is, I mean, when you say devils in the British accent like he would have done, it just would have been awesome. You would be like, I'm convinced. You don't have to tell me anymore. Uh, but here we go. So there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. And so what we want to try to do between last week and this week and following up with questions, we've had a bunch of questions from folks, we want to just try to have a happy middle ground where we're not so interested in demons and devils and the dark things that are reality that we go down a path that would be unhealthy or we get some stuff in our mind that's not real. But we also don't want to ignore the fact that in the book of Daniel, chapter 10, Daniel, one of the most godly men who's ever lived, he prayed three times a day, even when it was illegal. He went up into his room, he opens the window so that he probably more than likely can pray towards Jerusalem as they're in Babylonian captivity. He goes and he prays and nothing happens. Daniel was so in tune with the Lord that when he prayed, it almost always happened. Now. I listened to a guy who was deconstructing his faith. If you've seen the second of the American gospel movies, there's a guy in there who said, my faith died the death of a thousand unanswered prayers. And I'm like, well, you're praying the wrong thing. And so, and he was, he's praying things about himself, but his faith died the death of a thousand unanswered prayers. I'm like, I think I have a thousand unanswered prayers in like a week. Uh, but Daniel would pray something and he was so in tune with what the Lord wanted. He would pray what the Lord wanted and it would happen. And it was unbelievable. He prays in Daniel chapter 10 and nothing happens. So he says, something must be going on that I'm not aware of. And he begins this, what's called the Daniel fast. It's turned into like a health craze over the last two decades. But the reality is he does this fast. And he fasts for 21 days. He fasts for three weeks. At the end of the fast, an angel comes and stands before him. And the angel says, oh, mighty man of God. What an incredible greeting. Oh, mighty man, I mean an angel. There's an angel uh, elsewhere in the Old Testament that flies over a group of people one night and kills 186,000 of them. Like there's no indication that the angel was sweating at the end of it. Like just flies over, 186,000 die. And this angel stands in front of Daniel and says, oh, mighty man of God. Now that's powerful. You should just let that soak in. But 
He stands there and he says, Daniel, I want you to know, the minute you prayed, God gave a yes to your prayer. But I have been contending with the prince of Persia, which is another name for Satan. I have been contending with Satan in the heavenly realms to the point that Michael, the archangel, had to come and battle him with me so that I could get the answer to you. There's a whole world out there that is beyond our little three-dimensional ability to understand. And I think it's of God's grace that he lets us play around in this little three-dimensional world and we're not fully aware of all the other stuff that goes on. So let's take a look at what's happening here in, I guess, this passage that really defines, hey, I'm gonna make, be as clear as possible, test every little voice that comes into your life. And so this ties right in with Jason's sermon series he's doing on Sunday mornings about the decision grid. This past week, he taught out of James chapter three. In James three, it says that there are two kinds of wisdom. There's godly wisdom, and then it says there's worldly and demonic wisdom. And so I just want you to know, every time there's an opportunity to make a decision, I don't think it's that much different than the old cartoons with the little guy in the red spandex on one shoulder and the little person with the halo on the other shoulder. I don't know that it's that pronounced, but I think we would be amazed at how many times there is some sort of direct and or indirect but lingering spiritual influence trying to help us make a, a left or a right in our decisions. So. At the end of his first book, John says, at the end of 1 John, this little letter, he says, Beloved, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. I love this. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And then he goes on and he says, Many false prophets have gone out into the world, but this you know, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess, confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Now, some of you are familiar with the revelation and the second coming of Christ, which I think we're going to do a spring series on. I just... It's just such a deep dive. I just have to make sure like we're committed. Um, but I think we're gonna do a, a spring little like deep dive into some of the revelation and the second coming of Christ. Because I promise you, if you start looking forward to the return of Christ, it makes everything in this life kind of fit the way it's supposed to fit. And, uh, and it's, it's pretty incredible. So, but anyway, when, when we have this, this, this look at the Antichrist, we, don't, we think of one person, a world ruler, but any spirit that is anti-Jesus Christ being the Son of God and worshiped is a little Antichrist. And there are those spirits all over the place. There's billboards as you drove here that were little Antichrists. There were ads on Instagram as you rolled through today that were antichrists. I mean, just the other day, I was like, um, what was I? I forget what I was on. It was like a news app. Yeah, it was a news app. And at the, one of the ads in the news app was, and click here for your horoscope. 
And like, it was a fairly intelligent news app. And I was like, what is happening? Like, everything is got like the antichrist, little antichrist, antichrist are everywhere. And I think we need to never grow up in regard to saying, I've arrived. I don't have to test that spirit, that little thought, that little idea. I think I always need to hold them up and say, is this safe for consumption? Does this lift up Christ or anything else? Now, Here's why. Here's why we need this. Turn back in your Bible. If you want to mark a great little haunting verse, turn to the book of Jeremiah. In my Bible, it's like really close to the dead center. But Jeremiah chapter 17. This is a, a powerful little passage here. Jeremiah 17, starting in verse 9, going verses 9 and 10. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and I test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So one day there is a judgment and the judgment will not be judged on how I felt or what I wanted to do. The judgment is actually on what I did with my life. Actions count and they have consequences and they have meaning. And he says in here, hey, guess what? Congratulations, you're gonna be judged one day on the actions of your life and you're starting with a major handicap. Your heart is wicked and deceitful above all else. So congratulations on having a wicked and deceitful heart. Uh, and by the way, God's gonna test the heart and the mind. Now, if you do a little, if you have footnotes, this is an interesting thing to look. If you have footnotes in your Bible, if you got one of like the big study Bibles, I bet it says under mind in verse 10, kidneys. It's a strange little thing. But the actual Hebrew says that the Lord tests the heart and the kidneys of people. Now you saw, we had two nurses up here giving the welcome tonight. They were in their scrubs, they were official. One's coming from work, one's going to work. We're covered, our bases are covered. We got a fresh one and a tired one. We're ready though. Um, there's a bunch of other nurses in here. So if I say this wrong, I'm a preacher, not a nurse. But your kidneys are an interesting thing. They do this thing called homeostasis. They help your body stay balanced. They let, they, they know how much how much to let go of vitamins and all the other things into your body, how much to hold on to. If your heart starts to have problems, your kidneys will start to slow down so that your body can conserve a certain amount of water and hopefully keep you alive. The kidneys are this giant, incredible filtering system in our body. Is this pretty good? Okay, thanks. Yeah, this kid, the kidneys are this giant filtering system in our body. And the Jews, the Hebrews, and the Semitic culture used to say, you know what they represent? The deepest, most personal parts of a person's thoughts and hearts and emotions. That's who a person is at their core. And so for some reason, we translate it to mind, maybe because it's just a lot easier to say than all that. But we have a heart, which is really more the idea of the mind in the Old Testament. We have a mind that is corrupt and we have a deepest part of our core being and who we are that's also corrupt. And so it's no wonder, hear, hear me on this. How many times a day 
do your feelings tell the truth? Like, if you could say half the time, you, you're probably like my dad. One day my dad said to my mom, you hurt my feelings. And my mom said, when did you get those? Like, you probably don't have a lot of feelings if they're right half the time. But like most of the time, our feelings are not only wrong, they're like really wrong. Like those conversations, oh, I thought you were mad at me. In fact, I thought you were mad at me all day long. Like, no, I wasn't mad at you. I, I was like doing stuff and like, now I'm mad at you. Like, you know, like, I mean, like our feelings just, they're, they're not reliable. They're not valid. And that's just a feeling. Think about how many other things aren't right in the very core of who we are. And so if a person comes to Christ and they are made a new creation in Christ, we still have all that old baggage. And you know who knows about that old baggage? Satan and the demons know about that old baggage. And so there's so many times the Lord will try to help shape and form a decision in our life. And Satan well, simultaneously, or one of the demons, Satan, we looked at last week, we really did some, some kind of theology on angels and demons and, um, and, and Satan, and we kind of looked at like what they can and can't do. So without going into all that, just go back and listen to that. But one of the things is Satan is not everywhere at once like God is. But there's a bunch of little demons, there's, a, there's one Satan, and so there's enough of them out there to have an idea of how to distract you when God begins to speak to you. So, I think if we go back, knowing that our hearts are wicked and deceitful above all else, we come to Christ, he gives us a new mind as we develop our heart and soul for him. He gives us a new spirit, but still we have that old baggage. And so we need to not believe every little whim, every little feeling, every little thing that comes our way. We need to test the spirits and not just test them to see if the decision makes good sense. There's plenty of Bible decisions that didn't make good sense, like Gideon going to war with uh, several hundred people to one odds. Like that doesn't make good sense, but it was the right decision that the Holy Spirit of God was leading him to make. And so it's not just a good, smart decision. It's we need to test everything and say, Lord, is this of you? And one of the ways that we do that is we simply stop and we say, does this promote Jesus above everything else? If I do this thing, if I date this person, if I take this job, if I go take that trip, if I do those things, does it promote Jesus above everything else? And if you start to recoil a little bit and you get a little uncomfortable and you're like, I mean, Jesus is in there. Like I could see him like being in the equation. Like if I go on that weekend thing and go with those people, like we'll probably like, I could talk to them about Jesus. So yes, Jesus is in this decision and it's gonna be awesome. Like the little guy in the red suit just won the conversation. That's how we justify things and that's how he works. So when we test every spirit, the, the clear, clear teaching that John gives us here, look at it in verse two, by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Listen to this, God has given Satan and the demons some rules. 
They can't lie to you and say, no, this totally lifts up Jesus, number one. They have clearly been given some rules. Look at the way this is written. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. God is putting some spiritual rules out there. And these spirits that are anti-Christ, they cannot confess that he is what this is all about. They have to hide that. They have to recoil from that. And so if you have to dig and dig and dig and dig and dig and make this a Christian decision, a God-honoring decision, there's probably a good chance it's just not. But Satan's really good. It's not that easy. Let's look at a verse we looked at last week, John 8, 44. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. This is Jesus talking about Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Look with me at Revelation 12.10. In Revelation 12.10, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them night and day before God. So here's two things about how Satan works. He's going to come to you or the demons are going to come to you or some antichrist spirit of some sort comes to you. And what do they do? They're really good at simply lying. They're always going to get you to say exactly what happened in the garden. Satan has not changed his tactics. He is the father of lies. When he lies, he speaks his native language. He is the accuser. The King James says the accuser of the brethren, meaning he's always going to come to you and he's always going to say, you don't really know enough to make that decision. You're not really smart enough. You're not really wise enough. You haven't walked with God long enough. He's the accuser of the brethren. You've done too many bad things for God to do that in your life. You've done too many bad things to get forgiveness. And the list goes on. He's the accuser of the brother and he's a liar and his number one way to lie. Listen to this. And if you, if you want to write it down, just write down Genesis 3, 1. It's that simple. He comes to Satan. Satan comes to Adam and Eve and he goes to Eve. And do you know what he says? He's like super smooth. Did God really say that if you eat that, you're going to die? All it took was one question using God's words, changing the inflection, and adding a question mark at the end. I mean, but like, does it really matter if you test every spirit? Like, surely you've been in Bible study enough that you don't have to. And that's how he works. He's good. He's really good at tricking people. He's been tricking people for a long time. And so I think it's good for us just to expose some of his, some of his, his trickery and some of the way he does things. Um, I've made a few notes and I'll just go through some of these. Uh, it's, for instance, on mission trips, he never fails to do the same thing. Every time I've ever been on a mission trip, whether it's Peru or whether it's Zimbabwe or whether it's a stateside trip, we go and we do one of these trips and uh, let's say me and Jonathan are about to share the gospel. Raise your hand, Jonathan. Me and Jonathan, that's right. We're about to share the gospel with a whole bunch of people. I guarantee you babies are going to start crying. There's going to be people fighting over in the corner, like literally fist fighting over in the corner. Some other people are going to come in on skateboards and do the best tricks you've ever seen to where even Jonathan and I are like, maybe we should just watch them. Like, 
every time you just about say, has anyone here given their life to Jesus, the world falls apart. He's really good. Satan is really good at tricking people. He's really good at lying. He's really good at causing distractions. Uh, I think he's also really good at desensitizing people. For instance, there's probably a bunch of folks in the room that have sent pictures of themselves to someone else that you're like, oh man, I can't believe I did that. I wish I had never done that. That went haywire and blah, 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 blah. You didn't wake up one morning and think, I think I'll take some naked pictures. I've never done that before. I'm just gonna send them to some folks. That's not how he works. It starts slow and feels safe and it's a little innocent. Most folks don't wake up and they're like, I think I'll ask for a bunch of stuff from a bunch of girls and I'll like try to get as many, as many things as I could get from them. No, no, no. You wake up one day and it's like, David, you're a little bored and you're like, maybe look one thing up on your phone, then maybe look another, and then maybe two years go by and you're in a spot you never thought you'd be. Satan is super patient. He wants to wear you down over time. And so that's why we want to catch him early and we want to test every spirit and we want to say, no, no, no. He's not trying to like, he's not trying to take my legs out today. He's got a plan to take my legs out two years from now, but he's going to start today. And so that's why I want to be hyper vigilant to test the spirits and say, does this lift up Jesus above everything else or does it not? He, uh, I think, you know, some of you are like, man, I would never get into like magic and the occult and crystals and those kinds of things. Yeah, probably everybody who's into magic and Ouija boards and crystals and the occult and all those kinds of things, probably every one of those people, when they were five, they weren't like playing around going, I can't wait to be a witch. It's going to be awesome. Like, no, they probably weren't. But then you watch The Conjuring and then you watch another movie and then like, you go over to a friend's house and that friend just happens to have uh, a, a Ouija board or they've done a seance or one of those things. And like next thing you know, you're deep into the occult and you're doing stuff that you never thought you would do. And just like a couple of people who talked to me last week, they have some friends who, who have really struggled and like have nightmares and can't go to sleep and they see demonic things. It just starts really slow. And he's totally fine with taking you out slow. If you think like, Thomas, you're just kind of making stuff up, like maybe some of the, the things we do relationship-wise, blah, blah, maybe so, but like the occult stuff, show the, show the pictures of Converse's most recent ad. That's a shoe ad in the year 2021. They're advertising shoes. It's the dark shadow ad and you're like, that's not real. I promise you it's real, and they're sold out, completely sold out on their website. Okay, you can take the picture off. Satan, yes, if he was a serpent, his head would be cut off, but his body is still thrashing around, and he is taking people out left and right. Now, do you think, I did a little reading on the two folks that are in that ad. There's no way they woke up one day and thought, I think I wanna make my face as demonic looking as possible and I wanna be as androgynous as possible and like super sexual but not sexual at all and I really wanna cause a bunch of question marks and I want people to go into weird places. No. 
That was a slow, slow pull. And there was no checks and balances along the way. There was no test every spirit. I think if screw tape letters were written today, I think maybe he would, the, the, the older demon would be writing to the younger demon and he would say, hey, have them, have them come to Tuesday night, but like have them when they pull their phone out, go straight to Instagram. And like let them feel good that they were at church and even let them hear something. Let them like remember a verse, but let them remember more what they saw on the gram. Because he's slow and methodical. I think it would be things like, hey, let them go to church. Let them even tell their, their neighbors like in their cubicles and like on their Zoom calls and whatever else that they're Christian. But also like when they're really stressed, let them go shopping. And like, let them fill that void with shopping, but let them tell people they're Christian. Just like, let them be like, really get their satisfaction from that. He's not quite as like savage as you think at the beginning. His lies are like real gentle. It's not never let them go to church again, break their car down on the middle of 75 and let them be stranded there forever and ever so they hate church, blah, blah. It's like, no, 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 let them go, but let them like slow fade while they're there. I think it would be, you know, let them follow their ex on social media. Uh, maybe like, you know, this is a, this one I'm playing with fire, but like, I think you would tell a bunch of you like, yeah, 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 you should totally get on like as many dating apps as possible because that's the only way you're gonna find somebody. Now, some of you need to be on the dating apps and you need to test the spirit and you need to know. We have, some, we have a friend who just got engaged. They met on a dating app. We're super pumped for them. Um, like, I'm not saying that God is anti-dating apps. I'm just saying that I think that there are some folks that an anti-Christ has whispered, this is where you're gonna find your satisfaction. This is where you're gonna find your person. This is where you're gonna find your well-being. And it's led them down to a road and they knew it when that spirit was talking to them that this wasn't quite right. And it's led them down a road they never thought they would go on. I think the list goes on, but I think ultimately the way this ends up is twofold. It ends up with you not loving each other that's one of his major goals is to cause strife and division. And ultimately, John 10, verse 10, he has come that we might have life and have it to the full, but the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Ultimately, what he wants to do as we don't test the spirits and we don't see which one honors Jesus above everybody else and everything else, ultimately what happens is our joy gets stolen, our love for people gets stolen, our love for God gets stolen, and our faith, if we said we were a Christian before all this, our faith grows cold and we begin to doubt, and then doubting turns into our new religion and we deconstruct and we fall away from God, and then we pull as many people with us as possible. And if you don't believe me, go listen to The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, the special episode that was just released on Joshua Harris. He totally falls away from the Lord. You can see the satanic attacks all along the way. And his reasons for falling away had everything to do with all kinds of people and other things. But he never, he never mentioned one time falling away from Jesus. And I think it's because Joshua Harris, who was this huge Christian leader for a long time, had lost his first love 
years and years and years ago and never even realized it happened. And that's because Satan wants to take us out. And when he takes us out, he wants to take everybody else out around us. So how do I know if I'm listening to the truth? Well, here's some things you can hold on to. If you, I'm just gonna go through these very quickly, but if you wanna look at 1 John chapter three, right before chapter four, verses four through 10. John is very clear. He says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning and practices lawlessness, uh, sin is lawlessness. You know that he appealed, uh, appealed in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So John says right here, he's like, look, if you wanna know a litmus test, if you're listening to more truth than lies, what you're gonna see is less sin in your life. And it's not because you're getting like better at following the rules, it's because God is taking up more and more territory in your life. Second uh, Corinthians 10 verse five says that we demolish every stronghold in our lives that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We destroy these little, if you imagine like if my life was, a, if my body was like a grid, right? And let's say there's like a hundred squares going around my body. Like the more that I listen to truth and the more I follow the Lord, the more the, the grid turns the same color. But maybe I have like a red spot here and a red spot here and a red spot over here. And you're like, oh, those areas aren't quite like in line with everything else. Well, there's little strongholds that are built up in those areas. The more the more I follow the Lord, the more he infiltrates my life and the more those strongholds are torn down. And how do we do this? We take every thought, every little area captive and we make it obedient to Christ. How do I know how to make it obedient to Christ? I'm in Christian community. I'm in this book. I'm praying with each other. And all of a sudden these strongholds get to be torn down. John says in 1 John 3, if there's been no change in your life, you've never met Jesus Christ as your savior. John says, if you go on sinning and there is no change in your life, then you haven't been changed because Jesus is in the business of changing people. And he goes on and he says, verse seven, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. And it's not because they're good. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. It's not because they're good. It's because God's righteous and God's working in them. He goes on and he says, as he is righteous, verse eight, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So if the son of God is in your life and you're hearing more and more truth and you're following more and more truth and you're testing those spirits, what's going to happen? God is going to begin to destroy the works of the devil that are in your life. And so your life, the word we use in big church world is called sanctification. Your life becomes sanctified and you become more and more like the Lord through the power of God working in you. He goes on and he says, the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Verse nine, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God. Listen to this verse, verse 10. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Here's the clearest way to know if you've been testing the spirits and if God is working in your life and you're following more truth than lies, your love for the unlovable has grown in ways you can't explain. You're like, man, 
Used to that person would really annoy me, but like I have compassion for them. I care for them. Like I can listen to their complaints. Like they drive me a little bit crazy, but less crazy than they did last year. Like, and in fact, I'm learning to love a lot of people. It is one of the most clear litmus tests that there is in Scripture found in this passage right here. The more you love each other, the clearer the sign it is that you have the Holy Spirit and God's working in your life. So, I just want you to, I want to remind you one more time though. The way Satan works is super tricky. Look with me at a couple of these quotes from the uncle talking to the younger demon. I'm gonna put them up on the screen here. The older demon says, never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are on the enemy's ground. He made the pleasures all, uh, he made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. All we can do is encourage the humans to take the pleasures at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is the formula to get a man's soul and give him nothing in return. I'm going to read that line one more time. An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is the formula to get a man's soul and give him nothing in return. I think a bunch of you in this room are born-again Christians and you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're going to spend eternity together with God. But one of the ways that he's going to take some of you out and not let you cross the finish line victoriously in this life is through the vice of pleasures. I love, what, I love the wisdom that C.S. Lewis said. Every Pleasure in its pure form is God-made and God-designed for a right way and a right time. And one of Satan's best ways to take a Christian out is for them to become more pleased with the pleasure than the one who gave us that great joy, God himself. And so we chase pleasures. We chase money. We chase relationships, we chase status, we chase possessions, we chase and we chase and we chase, and it gives less and less and less, and it's just like a heroin user 10 years in. The, the high is not nearly as high as that first time, but I still want more because maybe I can feel it one more time. And you know what? We stopped testing the spirits at some point. And we started believing an anti-spirit and he begins to take us out slowly. When we finish tonight, I'm gonna send out on the group me a little YouTube link and, uh, and it's to a Twilight Zone of all things, talking about spiritual warfare. It's to a Twilight Zone clip, season one, episode 28 of the Twilight Zone. If you've seen the modern television show, The Good Place, I guarantee you The Good Place came from this one episode of the Twilight Zone. But the episode is gonna show this man and it's a five minute clip. He's gonna show this man who basically gets all the things he ever wanted. And as he gets everything he ever wanted, he is less and less and less satisfied. But that's how Satan's gonna come after most of you. He's gonna tempt you with pleasures. I'm gonna wrap up tonight with this verse. Matthew chapter 16. Peter and Jesus are talking. 
Peter has confessed that Jesus is in the Christ. I'm in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took Jesus aside. I love this about Peter. He's, if he's going to be wrong, he's going to be 100% wrong. And Peter took Jesus to the side and he rebuked him and he said, far be it from you, Lord, this will never happen to you. But Jesus turned to Peter, who he loved. He loved Peter. And he said, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. In one set of verses, Peter says, Jesus, you are the Christ. In the next set of verses, Peter says, no, there's no way you can go get crucified. I'm not going to let that happen. Peter in an instant switched from a heart after God to a heart after himself and people. The only way any of us can have a pure heart towards people is when we have a pure heart towards God. And Jesus, by the way, just gave us a living example of 1 John 4 when testing every spirit. He says, no, that is of the devil, Peter. And I'm not going to listen to that. And then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with the angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you. Then he goes on and he finishes the section there, but I just want you to hear that. Jesus says so clearly, you can, you can take two roads. The road of pleasures of diminishing returns that take a man's soul? Or the road where you say, I really do believe that my heart is wicked and deceitful above all else. I really do believe the only good thing there is, is God. And he gave his son to die for me. And so I will take up my cross and I will follow him forsaking all others. And when that happens, there's evidence of change in our lives. And so as we sing and we worship tonight, I just ask you to get real honest with God if there hasn't been a lot of evidence of change. I ask that you get honest with God if you've been listening to some voices that you know were counterfeits, you know were antichrist. And confess those. And as we wrap up tonight, I'll come back up for just one second. But when we finish, there'll be some folks right over here that are part of our prayer team. And they would just love to pray over you. If you're like, you know what, I'm kind of stuck. I believe some lies. I don't see a lot of change in my life. I'm just kind of stuck. Or you can just say, I don't want to go into all of it. Just pray for me. But we've got some folks that would love to pray over you. As we begin to close in worship tonight, let me pray for us now. Father, I thank you for Will. I thank you for the team coming to lead us in worship. Would you just move in our hearts, Lord? Lord, you gave John the wisdom to start off 1 John 4 by calling us beloved. And Father, you love us. You love us more than we can imagine. So Lord, help us not to recoil and pull back if you're convicting us, Lord. And Lord, help us to 
be able to receive it if you're encouraging us, Lord. And Lord, we just ask that you would change our lives for you and for your glory. And Lord, help us just to see your hand at work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.